Hey everybody, it's Matt from You Don't Know History. Um, I just wanted to let you know that the Patreon is still up and we're up to four patrons. Uh, and if you would like to go ahead and support the podcast, because I would like to keep this thing ad-free, um, you can find us at patreon.com backslash you don't know history pod, where you can find all your episodes a day early. Um, and as well as the postscripts that I put up about what I learned about the episode of the week. And I'm also going to start doing some uh, bonus content uh, to get it up to make it worth your while. Uh, so we only have one subscription tier right now, and that's for $5. Um, so if you would like to become a patron of the show, go ahead and head to patreon.com backslash you don't know history pod. Uh, thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. and welcome to the first bonus episode of You Don't Know History. Um, and uh, just a rough layout of what we're going to do. We're calling this You Don't Know History at the Movies. Um, and while it will be a bonus episode released on Thursdays for patrons, this week, everybody's getting it. Uh, that way, if you like it, maybe you'll sign up and be a patron. 
And today I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, my friend, and one of the, the quadruple-headed beasts that is left like that's Dick Warlock. <laughs> How, you, up, man? How you doing, man? Good, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, the triple-headed beast. Yes, yeah. we are. The Hydra. If you kill one of us, only more will return. Look out. <laughs> but today, uh, for you don't know history at the movies, we are talking about Black Hawk Down. Um, the movie based on Mark Bowden's 1999 bestseller, uh, about Operation Gothic Serpent, which is the official stupid military name given to the operations uh, for U.S. forces in Somalia. Even though we had 10th Mountain units posted under the U.N., they were that it was a totally different mission. Uh, it was released on December 18th, 2001, and the film would gross $172,989,651 worldwide on a $92 million budget. It was directed by Ridley Scott and had a large ensemble cast. Like, I'm pretty sure everybody's uncle was in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, but we had Jason Isaacs, who was the antagonist in The Patriot. Uh, Tom Sizemore, Eric Bana in his first American movie. Tom Hardy in his first movie. Uh, my, my, one of my favorites, William Fickner. I love William Fickner. Mm -hmm. uh, Ewan McGregor, who we'll talk about his part a little later on. Mm -hmm. Josh Hartnett, who was filming this movie in between um, uh, the Lent movie when he, where he gave up sex. 40, uh, days, the, 40, 40 days and 40 nights. That's yes. what it was. Um, and you can see his different haircut throughout uh, Black Hawk Down. Uh, Orlando Bloom would have a small part. Sam Shepard, Ron Eldard, and Jeremy Piven. Um, it would be nominated for four Academy Awards, believe it or not, and won two of them best film editing and best sound. Uh, and it would be completely filmed in Morocco and strangely enough, would not feature one actor of Somali descent. Um, so with all that being said, uh, we're gonna jump into critiquing the shit out of this, uh, what, what I called probably generously war porn. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I, I did not know that the name of the operation was Gothic Serpent. Yes, it's dumb. Operation Gothic Serpent. Operation uh, Black Snake. Yeah, you know, just another in a long line of stupid military operational names. Um, I want to know what algorithm they use to make these things, you know? Yeah, because I remember the Libya one was like Odyssey Dawn or some dumb shit, too. Yeah, I think they I think when that came out, I remember reading they're like literally like procedurally like they they click a button and it does a word jumble where it throws an adjective in front of a noun or something like that's that's how they do it because they're scared that like they might get canceled for 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 doing a, for picking something that might be culturally insensitive you know yeah but i mean let's face it they they still manage to do that um mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> because yep. it's the united states military and they don't do much correct if anything at all, actually. Well, they, they're they good at burning billions and billions of dollars on nothing, but that's, that's another episode. Um, but in the opening scene, we, we get this big overview, like you get the word scroll, you know, millions are, are starving, tens of thousands of people are dying, um, you know, but they don't tell you why all this is happening. <laughs> um, completely omitting the colonialism of the early 20th century, the Italian invasion, 
the destabilization caused by Western interference, um, and then essentially throwing the country to the wolves uh, when they didn't say have the mineral wealth of Congo or, you know, uh, you know, other African countries. No, man, it's just the fault of that one warlord. It's an evil, evil bad man, Muhammad Farah Adid, who is, who is the, the, the baddie who's responsible for all the death and destruction. The UN, the white saviors tried to come in, deliver the food, and right off the bat, they get, people get machine gunned for, by trying to get some rice because fucking Adid wanted to keep it for himself and do a genocide. Yeah, yeah, and and he's the only warlord you hear about in the entire film, but there mm -hmm. were dozens of them, dozens, of course. Uh, just around Mogadishu. Um, Adid had the biggest chunk of Mogadishu, but you know, like this country had fallen to uh, warlordism very early on, and, and Adid wasn't the only one that was attacking UN convoy, food convoys, and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, it does allude to the, the Pakistani contingent being ambushed. And, and I think it was like 18 Pakistani soldiers were killed. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but, you know, the UN had been operating there for, I think, two years uh, before, before Gothic Serpent was launched. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been a few years since I read the book, right? Which, if, if you want a good military book to read, I think Black Hawk Down is one of them you should read because it's not a piece of propaganda. Um, Bowden does a good job of picking apart the American effort, the UN effort. Like he actually goes and talks to Somalis that were involved, which is something you typically do not get. Um, it is weird that like from that book, because I've read the book and I've seen the movie many, many, many times. Like uh, I, this movie is literally one of the reasons I joined the fucking military. Yeah. It's because I watched this movie too many. I used to joke about this to people. Like half the reason I joined the military is because I watched Black Hawk Down and Bandy Brothers too many times. Yep. And the weird thing is, is that I haven't watched it since I joined the military. I haven't watched it one time. Um, but like looking back on it, then because I can, I can run the whole thing through in my mind. I don't need to watch it because I've seen it so many times. Yeah. But like it was this, this like. Uh, amazing like act of humanitarian heroism that like I was incredibly invested in like like I love the dynamic between Josh Hartnett's character you know being like a guy like we're here to do good and then Hoop just being like nah man politics and all that <laughs> shit goes right out the window and me being like oh man like I want to be a cross between Hoot and Josh Hartnett and join, go change the military from the inside. I want to do good, but be cool and, and tactical at the same time. And like looking back on the movie now, like they fucked up so bad. They like their operation was complete ass. They abandoned oh, yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, and that, that was the, I think one of the, the things you see in the first few scenes, right. You see the idealism of Hartnett. Like you, Kurth, you know, one of the people in his his chalk, you know, was even like Sergeant Eversman's an idealist. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he thinks we're here to save people, you know. And, and then you, like you said, you get who who in the opening scene is com, you know, complimenting one of his Delta peers uh, on shooting an engine block from a moving helicopter, uh, traveling at what kind of speed? I don't know, but I know you have to pick up some speed to get off the ground in a Black Hawk, right? Uh, and then they shoot uh, like a boar. And then take it back to camp, which did happen. Um, but uh, you know, the the funny thing is, is for like brevity, 
they combined three of the Delta operators into Hoot, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you, you get that with quite a few of the Delta guys. Uh, I think the only two that were probably singular in their, like, as movie characters were Shugart and Gordon because yep. they, they would go on and win the Medal of Honor or be awarded the Medal of Honor, I should say. You don't really win it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so they're, th those opening scenes are just kind of laying the groundwork and they're, they're getting you, they're letting you get to know these people. Uh, you know, like the, the food delivery uh, massacre that you see in the film, you know, we see Mike Durant, you know, flying the helicopter and he's, he's talking to Wolcott and the other bird. Like, so we're, we're getting the, these are the people, these are the important people, right? Um, and then we, we kind of move on a little bit. We're still getting to know these people and we get to specialist Grimes uh, who, but, you know, if you knew the Ranger Regiment in the early 90s, they didn't have dedicated 42 Alphas. So they just took lazy fucking 11 series guys, lazy, lazy Rangers and put them in the in the training office. Right. Everyone else got to fight, got to be a Ranger. I made coffee through Desert Storm. <laughs> I, I like how this guy's been in since Panama. And then he's, you know, not, five years later, he's still in the admin office. Yeah. And he's a baby, too. Like, what did you join when you were 13, bro? Yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing is he's supposed to be like this jaded specialist. Uh, he's got Orlando Bloom, baby Blackburn in front of him, you know, and he's he's typing in all his information and, you know, he's 18, you know, and and Blackburn's like, I'm here to I'm here to fight, you know. Um, but the thing is about. Yes. Yeah, the thing is about Grimes. Um, he's not a real person, right? He's based on a man named John Stebbins. Uh, Stebbins would actually be awarded multiple awards for what he did in Mogadishu. Uh, but in 2000, he would be charged and convicted of the rape of his stepdaughter. Jesus Christ. Yes. Mark Bowden, the guy who wrote the book, was one of the early, he, he wrote the initial screenplay. He did not get credit for it. Um, somebody else did. But he was pressured by the Department of Defense to change his name to keep controversy away from the film. And eventually Bowden was just like, well, I'm not going to do it. Uh, but the DOD provided all the aircraft, the Rangers to actually do the fast roping, yeah. Delta guys uh, to, to do some of the, the, the stuff, you know, the, the individual like kind of far out shots. And training and then, the actors. Yeah. And then training the actors. So at that point, Bowden had no choice but to, to rewrite this guy's character. Right. I thought he called him in the book. I thought he called him Johnny Smith in the book, too. I don't I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know they called him Stubby uh, and that's how he addressed him a lot in the book. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this guy was a total piece of shit. And what's funny is um, the mother of the young woman who was raped by that gigantic bag of walking trash uh, shortly after the film came out, went to The Guardian, was interviewed by The Guardian and said that, you know, the, the people that made the film are going to make millions off of portraying this person, <clears throat> you know, like my ex-husband was a hero. He wasn't, he was a piece of shit, you know, <laughs> like, and, and that's, that's a great point that I would not have really, you know, thought about. Um, but yeah, like I, I bought like way back in the day, man, I bought like the extended version. So I had the eight extra minutes to watch. Yep. Me um, too. Yeah. You know, all but, the behind scenes featurettes and oh, stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> Um, but we, you know, we see him out on the range and the Delta guys are just up there doing, you know, doing transition drills and, you know, Orlando Bloom's character comes up and Eversman's like, what are you doing, man? You got to put sunscreen on your face. So they're like trying to humanize all these people 
um, and, and make them kind of like easily identifiable, I think. Want me to shoot? I'm rested. Yeah, I'm rested. Um, <laughs> but like early on, you could see kind of like the push and pull between like the Rangers and the Delta guys, right? Mm -hmm. And Jason Isaacs, who plays this, who plays Captain Steele. Now I'm going to tell you, Captain Steele actually played football for the University of Georgia and was on like the national championship winning team in 84. He was an offensive lineman. Uh, while Jason Isaacs, is, he's in good shape. Uh, he is nowhere near the size of the real Captain Steele. Steele's fucking gigantic. Um, but he has an outweighed presence. Like he, Isaacs yeah. does a good job of playing that guy. Yeah. He, like for that me, type, that archetype. Yeah, for me, the entire film, he played, because uh, I, I served with people that served directly under Steele at mm -hmm. certain points in his, you know, in his tenure, um, and said he was just like that. Like he was, it was like the no fun league for his company. Like you, you were not to enjoy yourself. Being a ranger was serious business. Um, I think when, when Bella gets caught doing the impression yeah. of Captain Steele, <laughs> I recognize myself. Listen, you ever find yourself under my chain of command again? You'll be cleaning latrines with your tongue. You can't taste the difference between shit and french fries. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how in the he had the his fucking K-pot on, dude, and he had like the Georgia Bulldog uh, playing card in front. <laughs> and he's flipping off his buddies behind him because oh, yeah. they saw him coming and didn't stop him. <laughs> and let's face it, that's some shit we would do. Oh, yeah, that's it was very accurate. And yeah. including like the guys giving Eversman shit about being an idealist. Like you said, they're like, they're like he lacks the skinnies. He's like, you lack the skinnies, Eversman, which is what they call the, the Somalis. Yeah. And he's like, it's not about like their people. They're in a hard way or something. You know? I, I, I re they have no education, no jobs. I respect them, you know, like and they he's he's they paid him out to be like this idealistic uh, kind of like poster boy, I'd say. Um, and let's face it, this is this movie came out months after 9-11. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the army needed that. Like the, the United States military needed that uh, kind of, I guess, idealism because they're launching a war, you know, like. Oh, it charged my ass up, dude. I was fucking, I was a teenager. 9-11 uh, happened. This movie came out. I was ready to go. I was like, fuck, the war is going to be over by the time I graduate from high school. I was mad. <laughs> Yeah, dude, I didn't I, have to worry about that, did I? Yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The war's almost old enough to drink. Okay, mm -hmm. like, um, but yeah. So we we start seeing what goes into mission prep, right? Um, you know, and and the thing is, like, for special operations with the Rangers at the time, we're a tier two special operations unit. Delta's the cream of the crop in the army. Um, I'm gonna tell you right now that mission prep looked like ass, like straight ass. Um, you know, Abdi, you know, we, we see Abdi, a Somali informant who's been told to use his cab to mark the target building that they're going to hit. Um, you know, and he's <laughs> the scene where he's putting tape on it and he's driving around. Uh, you know, I just like I know it's a movie, but I'm like, you know what? They actually made someone do that. Jesus, mm -hmm. man. Like, I can't imagine how horrible he had to feel just like, well, you know, in the book, too, and Sam Shepard makes an offhanded comment about this, about how their plan originally to get Adid was they got someone in his inner circle and they gave him this elaborate like cane that they were going to give. He was going to give to him that had a GPS tracker in it. 
And before he could give him the cane with the GPS tracker in it, he uh, shot himself in the head playing Russian roulette. And <laughs> oh, Sam Shepard makes an offhand comment that's right, yes. in, in the movie. But like, but like that actually happened to the guy. Their original plan got dashed because guy was fucked, got drunk, was chewing on cot or something and got all fucked up and ended up blowing his own head off and playing Russian roulette. <laughs> God, man. And if anybody doesn't know, cot is, um, it, it's a, I don't, I don't know if it's a, it's a narcotic, isn't it, Dick? Like, it, yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, a leaf that um, they they would they chew on in the late afternoon when the heat was at its at its height, and it would be like a like a uh, what do you call it? Uh, like a downer. It's like a yeah. Um, it, it get you like a little bit uh, fucked up. I don't think it's all that intense intense of a high. And in the movie too, Tom Sizemore makes a comment about how like his mission's fucked because going in like guns blaze in the middle of the afternoon when they're all fucked up on cot and i'm like i'm pretty sure it's a downer i don't think that's like it's not meth they're not gonna fucking blitzkrieg your ass yeah because they're chewing on it's gonna do there be less like quick to move on you what do you mean what are you worried about yeah i mean i i i couldn't remember like someone explained it to me but yeah i know like i i know it was it's something they did what was really hot and they would sleep through the day and then they would continue on with the rest of their you know if they had jobs they would go work and when it was cooler you know, um, but yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it, like you said, it's not something that's going to, you know, it's not a super steroid where they're just going to be able to run through bullets and, and, and kill soldiers, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, also at this time, we're seeing <laughs> some dickhead that broke his arm who he claimed he did it playing table tennis, uh, gets his arm casted and he goes to the admin office and he's like, Grimes, man, you're getting your wish. You're going to war. And Grimes is like, Oh, damn it. <laughs> you are fucking me. He's excited. He's excited. He says, you are fucking me. Yes. <laughs> and then he gets like that look. Il McGregor does a good job of playing this horrible pedophile rapist. Yes. Uh, character. But like, he's not a pedophile rapist in the movie, but in real life. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Neil McGregor, he does the thing where he's like, he's excited and then immediately scared too. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was great when, like, you could tell he has done nothing operational because he runs to the tent, he starts prepping his gear, and everybody, like, I love Tom Hardy. Hey, what are you, what are you bringing nods for? Put that shit away, grab dope and beer, and yeah. Grimes is like, what, what, what is, you guys are doing what? Ammo, and, dude, bring yeah, ammo. Bring ammo, you know? <laughs> then he sees the guy taking his back plate out of his, out of his, uh, his uh, armor, body armor there. Yeah. He's like, I don't know about you. He's like, you got all this weight you're carrying. I don't need an extra 12. Oh, this, dude. I'm not planning on getting shot in the back running away. Yeah. I mean, it, it, as someone who actively served on the ground and carried the weight we did, Dick, those guys carried nothing. Okay. Nothing compared mm -hmm. to the fucking combat loads we did. Um, like the RBA, I know, was light as hell. And, and I know it was light as hell because they didn't have soft armor in it, one. And two, they used like those metallic plates uh, that were tiny. Um, and then they had the old LBEs uh, and, and butt packs, man. I hated those things. You can never get, like you can never sit down well with them on your back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I carried one of those fucking full, like, I think I could fit like four or 500 rounds, 762 link in there for the 240. Yep. I carried one of those in the butt pack and sometimes I'd carry a fucking couple uh a couple of chains uh, linked together like Rambo style across my chest. <laughs> I have, have a little bit more. 
Mm-hmm. Stop doing that after a while because the links would would, be, would break and shit. But uh, some it looked cool as hell. Yeah, I mean that's that's rule number one of combat is always look cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we you know we we go through this what looked like horribly grabastic mission prep. Um, you know they're running, they're getting their stuff together, and Irene's the code word, right? That's the code word. Fucking Irene. Fucking Irene. And you see the pilots. You know everybody's loading up into the aircraft, um, and then what? What I thought was hilarious was the the telephone game that the Somalis played, where you had this like eight year old kid bust out like an early cell phone, make the phone call to somebody else. Then you see Zach Morris's cell phone go off, <laughs> and then he drops it down and it gets handed to I get what what would you call him like the main like the main bad guy you see throughout the movie, right? Uh, yeah, what uh, Captain Sunglasses there? Yeah, Captain Sunglasses. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's just like stand-in for for the, the African savage. Uh, yeah, Captain Sunglasses, and yeah, just the guy directing all of the the murder of these brave boys. Yeah, I mean, and they they we'll talk about that then, but they do play that that you know that kind of African. Uh, warlord savage guy they play that trope up really bad in this movie really bad mm-hmm. um but we see this assault right like the delta drops in first on the little birds they hop off of the building and they're running through and uh and then you get the rangers to come in uh, and they start fast roping and if anybody's know what fast roping is you're literally uh sliding down a thick rope while an aircraft is hovering okay uh, it is horrible. I hate it. Uh, <laughs> I've only done it like twice. Uh, and I, I'm so glad I didn't have to do it any more than that. Uh, Fuck, they had you do that? Oh, dude, yeah. Absolutely. I never got to fast rope that one time. I did one air assault mission when I was in Afghanistan. And it was just hopping out the bird as it touched down right quick. I got my 240 stuck in the fucking door. I had to kick the shit out of it to set it free. I kicked my lieutenant in the face on accident. <laughs> And then he, he like kicked me loose and I fell backwards into the fucking dirt and rolled over to pull security. It was a complete bust. It was just this dumb operation. They, they really, I think they put it together because they wanted to have an air assault mission under their belt, but they were like, there was no way to ford this river and we had to go clear this ta- this town. Yeah. It was like a big deal. Big clearing up it was definitely a Taliban stronghold. There was a shit there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's honestly, that's like 90% of the air assaults I did. Uh, it was, it was just like a, a Look at what we can do. Uh, not <laughs> we're gonna do something decent here. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we have little baby Blackburn, you know, Orlando Bloom. Um, you know, he's he's getting ready to get on the rope, uh, and and somebody shoots an RPG at this at the bird, and the bird does this maneuver to get away from it, and Blackburn falls out. Now Bowden covers this heavily in the book. Uh, Blackbird did not you know, like the, the bird did not move. Blackburn just missed the rope mm-hmm. uh, and fell. Um, in the movie, it's funny too because they they characterize it very well. The movie, like afterwards, because they give him a reason why he fell. But afterwards, and they go, they go, we got a casualty. We need medevac. And they go, like what? How? Like he's where's he hit? And he's like, he's not hit. He missed the he fell. Missed yeah. the rope. And he goes, how the fuck did he do that? Yeah. He's just like, <laughs> I mean, Eversman. And they, 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 uh, his, his lieutenant, his PL, whatever you, what I know they were set up a little differently because they were more in chalks rather than organic squads. Um, 
you know, his LT had a seizure uh, before the mission. So Eversman suddenly in charge, right, of everything mm -hmm. for this chalk. And you could tell Eversman was not completely prepped for this. Uh, and and trust, like from somebody who was in a position like that before, where like the guy in front of me got hit and and I had to step up, you're I don't think you could be prepared for somebody just missing the rope completely and falling, right? No. Um, but that shit does happen. Like it's like that is exactly the type of dumb shit that I would have been Blackbird. It was like. <laughs> Like I tell people about war movies all the time, like you're going to imagine yourself as the cool guy yeah. that is like the protagonist who's getting covered with blood and guts and just survives by the skin of his teeth. No, you are the guy who gets blown in half in the background scene and <laughs> screams for their mother. That's you. Okay. Yeah. You're not the protagonist in the story. You are in your brain, but that ain't, yeah. that ain't going to happen. Yeah. People, people are surprised when I tell them like the protagonist you're talking about is pushing 40. Uh, is hurting everywhere and the only reason he's still doing what he does is because he's just really good at war uh, and like you said we're the idiots that are falling out of the bird we're the idiots getting blown in half you know we're the idiots who like I don't know blow off our barrel on our 240 our saw you know like we're those idiots there's a great line in, a great line in Thin Red Line too where one of the guys doing a monologue where he's like He's staring off into nothing, just saying, like, it don't matter how old, don't matter how tough, how young, how, like, oh, he's got a family. It can happen just, just like that. Like, the realization that, like, every part, no part, part of your personality matters, no part of training. Like, you can train, like you said, you can be really, really good at war. It doesn't matter if you're fucking your plane gets shot down before you get to, to hop out and, yep. you know, on D-Day. It doesn't matter if you just take the wrong step and, and fucking 300 pounds of homemade explosive blows you fucking sky high. That's, you can't train for that shit. Yeah. It doesn't matter how badass you think you are. You get dead real quick. Yep. Uh, war is, is, is not what you would call selective in who they go after. Everybody's You're a dumb target. luck. Yeah. I should be dead a thousand times over. It is not because any skill that I had is complete fucking roll of the dice yep roll of the dice it's hard to come to terms with but yep. yeah you know but we we see blackburn thrown on a stretcher after they talk shit about him because naturally this is the military and we are going to do that mm -hmm. um and and <laughs> grimes is on the litter team that's running through fire <laughs> trying to get him to the convoy uh and, and i thought that was like as, as disgusting as a human being as tom sizemore is he was amazing in this movie uh, mm -hmm. i thought he did really good like he played his part very well uh you know an old salty lieutenant colonel you know who's just like fuck man and i i think what killed me is like i didn't even see him with a pistol like he was out in the middle of all that unarmed and i was like what the hell man remember the part <laughs> sir they're shooting at us sir they're shooting at us. Shoot we'll back. Shoot, we'll shoot back. <laughs> but we, we see they, they get Blackburn to the convoy and Grimes gets separated from his fire team. And this is like when things really start going sideways. You know, like you said, Pillars are, he gets shot and killed, like the first official KIA of the, of the mission, right? Um, you know, and right after we see Super 6 1 get hit. And Super 6 1 is Clint Wolcott's. Uh, uh, bird right and uh this was like i i looked into him and he was like a very decorated aviator like that guy had flown everywhere in every kind of aircraft man um and the way they shot these birds down dude like 
they had these these militiamen had been trained to knowing that these birds could take RPGs, that the only vulnerable point was the tail rotor. Yep. If you hit that, it would immediately throw them into a tailspin. That is an incredibly difficult shot with an RPG. Yeah. And and the thing is, is what I thought was kind of crazy was that the you know the the army aviators actually flew the helicopters down to make it look like they crashed and the only thing that was cgi'd was the rotors really yes that was it man um like they they knew how to do it and then what they would do is they would put it down and then they would just bring out like the hulk to show like it all busted up mm. so i mean it that's 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 probably why it won best film editing that was actually that's pretty rad uh you know <laughs> i mean it's it is a te- very technically good well done movie mm-hmm. like the sound they won one for sound editing too right yeah like the sound yeah. editing is amazing like the, the saving private ryan shit that was pioneered with like the the high pitch wines and shit this takes it to a whole new level like where they're like doing like electronic sounding shit after a blast they actually found that to be very realistic after experiencing that shit first and a bunch yeah yeah i mean absolutely like this this like this was a very well done film um and you know what we can once we get through it the the whole thing we can talk about uh, the good and the bad of it mm-hmm. uh, but wolcott goes down right and then immediately general garrison sam shepherd is like, okay, we got to get some people out there. So he pushes more aircraft uh, to the crash site, right? And they're just kind of hovering overhead. Now, for me, I can't imagine, like, surviving that. And then, like, nobody's coming right now. <laughs> uh, like, I would have been like, well, fuck it. Looks like I'm done. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, you know, Eversman gets the word. Like, they get on the horn. They're like, hey, man, you need to get you and your chalk over to the crash site right he's like okay here we go um and like this is where we start seeing people get lost uh you know he loses one of his team leaders uh he set up his saw gunner and his 60 gunner on a corner and was like hey the convoy is going to come past here you just hop on it and meet us at the crash site and eversman and like what three or four other guys they just take off yeah you would never do that is that you might as well just shoot those guys in the head, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's amazing that they, because that actually happened. They did get left at that corner. Yeah. You know, and what kills me, it's the two most casually producing weapons that you have. Yes. You know, yes. and you, you buddy them up and leave them there. And there's no AB. So literally the only rounds they have are the ones they're carrying. Uh, you know, and I'll tell you right now, you're not loading your gunners down with a ton of ammo. That's what your ABs are for. They're there to just be pack mules for the guns, you know? <laughs> Uh, and I couldn't believe that. I'm just like, oh my gosh, man. Like me as the old squad leader, I'm like, no, you know, I, I would leave a 60 there with like the AB and like one other person. The saw gunner is going to come with me, you know. The saw gunner too. Um, <laughs> Who's Tom well, Hardy in this movie? Tom Hardy. Oh. Well, yeah, Tom Tom Hardy. And then his, uh, the other guy with him that gets left, they get left behind. That is, uh, he's a Scottish actor. He was in train spotting with Ian McGregor. Yeah. Yeah, he's like the alcoholic dude. He finds like fucking choking on his own vomit on the street one day. Yeah, he was also like the sniper in uh, Wonder Woman. Was he? Yeah, that was him. He's the guy who would sing all the time and had like they showed him to have PTSD and shit. I don't. I see. I only watched Wonder Woman like the one time and it left my brain immediately. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that was him. He he ran around in a kilt. He was part of the 
the the squad of multinationals that buddied up uh, with Wonder Woman and and took the fight to the Huns. He was in Pearl Harbor too. Yeah. 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 This dude's done. I mean, he's done a lot, man. I wish I could remember his name. Like after looking at the the ensemble cast as they put it, I was like, I'm not writing all these names down. I'm no, not doing no. it. Um, but so Eversman gets there. Uh, and but the thing is, is this relief convoy got lost inside of Mogadishu. One, because the United States Army had outdated maps. And two, uh, they must have forgotten that one of the SOPs for these militias was to set up roadblocks everywhere, complete with tires that they would light on fire to alert everybody where the position of the Americans was. Um, so that's bad planning. That is very bad planning. Oh, shit, I just looked his name up, by the way. Ewan McGregor and Ewan Brem Bremner. E-W-E-N instead of E-W-A-N. Ewan <laughs> Bremner is his name. Well, I appreciate him. I, I really do. He's, he's one of my favorites. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they split off uh, the convoy into two columns, right? So uh, Staff Sergeant Strucker is in charge of, like, the column getting the wounded back to base. And he gets there and he unloads Pilla. He gets uh, Blackburn out. Um, and, and you kind of see this tension there. Uh, what I thought was funny, I don't know if you knew this, Dick, but that soldier he ends up talking to, the one that's like, we're going back out there, mm -hmm. his name's Kenny Thomas. Uh, and Kenny Thomas is a very well-known country music singer now. No shit. Yep. Yeah, he spells Kenny K-E-N-I, though. So, what? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he gives him that whole speech. Yeah, what you do right now that matters, right? <laughs> and, and the guy playing Strucker, if I remember correctly, was in that really bad uh, movie with uh, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, uh, where like Travolta is like this former undercover chief warrant officer for CID, and he's investigating the abuse of like major or something. And Samuel L. Jackson ran around like the black sweater with like a Oh, rules, rules of engagement no that was a different one that's where he was like in yemen and he opened up on and tommy lee jones was his attorney oh shit i can't remember the name of this movie but it was awful it was so bad uh but the guy playing strucker was like one of the guys in that squad um god I, I'm, not, I'm gonna have to look it up here in a minute. i'm looking him up now his name is yeah. brian van holt yeah yeah oh but he, yeah i recognize him He's got kind of like that Southern soldier kind of thing going for him. Um, but he's been a lot of shit. Oh, dude, yeah. He's been in a ton of movies. But, you know, Strucker's column gets back to base. Um, Hoot is in that as well. Um, but the rest of the convoy is still trying to find their way through Mogadishu. And then it gets hit by this RPG. Um, and I thought, I don't, I don't know if you, I remember the scene, and I'll never forget it. It kind of like pauses with this dude shooting and then he looks down and there's just somebody's hand and he picks it up and puts it in his pocket. Yeah, all the sound stops. Yeah. It's like drum, and then, and you just stop and he sees a hand sitting there. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, and that's also where, like one of my personal favorites, uh, the guy who played the creepy guy in Sons of Anarchy, uh, is Kim something, uh, he's a Canadian dude, but he gets blown in half. Um, and you kind of just see him pick, like his torso up and put him in the back you know um he uh yeah he has that moment at the beginning too where he's doing artwork for his daughters yeah and then his like old he gets killed immediately and he just 
his thing is, uh, tell my daughters I'll be okay as he's blown in half. Yeah. And then over. Yeah. And then there, of course, Tom Sizemore's there, like holding his hand, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but Ofik, the guy who took, uh, or uh, the, the one dude who took his back plate out, gets shot in the back while this is all unfolding, right? And then we also have the, the crash site of Super 6-1 where everybody's killed except one Delta guy. And he's just sitting there like taking multiple rounds and mowing dudes down. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, <laughs> these two, uh, Tom Hardy and, and our 60, our M60 toting buddy, um, those are my two favorites in the whole movie, right? Because like a buddy cop, like, (laughs) like, like, like it's a whole different movie. It's like comic relief, like buddy cop, comic relief throughout the movie. Yeah, dude, you know, they're both like they're one of them, I think was a PV2. The other was a PFC, right? And they're, they're both like, well, neither of us are in charge. Sergeant Eversman told us to stay here. And they just are like, I don't think the convoy's coming, man. And they're just like, well, I think got- they forgot about us. <laughs> and then they're just like, well, we'll, we'll go to the crash site. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll go to the crash site, you know, like, <laughs> but, <sighs> oh man. But the like fact we- that they get left behind is the most fucked up thing. Like in the, like the abandoning those, you never like literal, like soldiers creed shit, like well, basic 101 you don't leave a man behind you don't separate you fight like the lo- smallest element you should ever be separated into is a fire team you yeah. don't leave two members of your fire team like you shouldn't leave them in another room never mind a fucking yeah like a click or two away you know? corner yeah. <laughs> and then what was we saw we heard it the whole movie you know danny no one gets left behind. No one gets left. I mean, that was, they drummed that into us. It was the tagline of the movie. Yeah. No man know? gets left behind. <laughs> but they, they unfortunately got left behind. Uh, but we, we see the search and rescue craft get like pushed in. They fast rope off. Uh, and one of the medics is uh, Ty Burrell from Modern Family. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, he's the guy that like gets him hooked up to an IV and is like, Margaritas, no uh, after, salt. Yeah, margaritas blended, no salt. You know, um, I remember that line. Um, but uh, you know, they they get in there, and um, the aircraft that is, you know, that they're exiting is Super Six Eight. It gets clipped, so they're told to get out of position. And Super Six Four, who is Mike Durantsburg, moves in to take that spot. Right. Um, well, Durantsburg gets clipped. And like you said, it was the tail rotor, or that, that tail rotor, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, everything's good. I'm just getting a little play in the pedals. I don't know what that means. So if there's an aviator out there, uh, once we post the episode, please feel free to hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what that means. Um, <laughs> I am not above saying I don't know something and I'm no more idea. than willing to learn. Yeah. Um, but you, you hear him, yeah, man, uh, there's some play in the pedals and the command and control bird which I don't know about you, Dick, those two assholes in that command and control bird just infuriated me the entire movie. And one of those guys, uh, I forget his name. I'm going to look him up too. But the, the fucking bald redheaded dude, he's made a career out of playing that guy. Yeah. The guy in the command and control bird being like, you need to move your team from this side to this side. Like like that He that is his whole thing. He's in Transformers. He does the same fucking yeah, he's typecast into being a staff officer. Yeah, like right? an old, like <laughs> old, I am, I am the fucking Captain Overlord. I am here to tell, dictate to you in an authoritative 
uh, baritone what to what to go do on the ground. Yeah, but those those two and the command and control bird are just like literally the the biggest issue was they're supposed to be giving directions to the convoy to get through the city, but they're using um, other aircraft and uh, they have to go through like four levels before the information gets filtered from the C2 bird down to McKnight on the ground, rather than just speaking directly to McKnight, mm -hmm. you know, which I thought was, again, it, it makes sense because you and I both are in the military. It seems very army, but it's literally self-defeating in purpose. Oh, it's you know? totally, totally fucked. Yeah. I like, uh, I, I remember having a moment like thinking about this kind of how fucking dumb this is and fucked up in Afghanistan. I remember in our first firefight, I remember just a massive amount of like like dude takes a round of the plate fucking near ambush by taliban like first month we're there dude takes a round of the plate we're in a fucking mess everyone's shooting doesn't know fucking where like the fire is coming from um and the co is yelling into his hand like give me a set rep to the pl who's like actively trying to like make sure that like he has suppressed the near ambush and the CEO is just screaming into his hand like at full volume, trying to uh, demanding that he tell them what the situation is on the ground. I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is this well, fucking dude, dumb. We saw something like that in the movie when Strucker is trying to get back to base, and McKnight's like, Strucker, what's you know what's your uh, you know what's your situation? He's like, I don't want to talk about it right now, Colonel, and just like throws the hand mic down. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean that's real. Like you will have. Like, and it's, and it's because I've been on both end, ends of it where like you feel incredibly powerless if you don't have, if you're not there and the only information you have is the reports given to you over the radio. And you're like, I want to help you, but I don't, I don't know how to, if you don't tell me. But then if you're the guy there, you're like, I literally have shit to deal with and orders to give yeah. and, or my situation hasn't changed. We're still fucked. We're just as fucked as we were five minutes ago. Oh no! Trust me, I've been on the. I've been in the middle of a firefight where I've like had my company commander like wanting a sit rep, and I just literally picked it up. I was like, "Shut up!" And then you hear, yeah. you know. And then ten minutes later, "Hey, sit rep, shut up!" And like once we, you know, cleared the objective, once we figured everything out, you know, I went back to the commander and I'm like, "Sir, I didn't mean to be disrespectful." He's like, "I get it, man, but I have to do my job too." And I'm like, mm -hmm. "Well." Let me do mine first, and then I will get you the information you need. Uh, you, can always, you can always do the reliable thing of take, taking the hand mic up and pushing the pushing the button down and, and letting them listen. There's your there's the situation. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> bad. It is really really it's bad. Not good. <laughs> but you know, we we had this second bird go down, and at this point, Garrison is panicking, right? Uh, because again, this operation was outside of the official UN mission. And he did not contact the UN to let them know that this was going to happen, right? And if anybody knows anything about the Rangers, they do not have any kind of heavy armament. The biggest thing they had were these, at this time, soft skin Humvees, 50 cows mounted on turrets, no chicken plate, you know, no, no, no barrier around uh, the gunner to keep them safe from gunfire, right? And little birds as close air support. Yeah. And, and let's face it, little birds are amazing in like five to 10 second bursts, but they blow through their ammo very quick and they have to go off station to rearm often. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they don't have a lot of ass uh, behind them during this entire thing. But Captain Steele's group gets bogged down big time, right? 
And then you have, again, that, that push and pull between the Rangers and Delta and William Fickner's like, sir, if we don't get moving, you know, we're going to get killed out here. And then, you know, Steele's like, Sergeant, you don't tell me what to do. And then Fickner just kind of like, oh, God damn it. Sir, give me a couple shooters and I'll, you know, we'll link back up at the gray building. And then you see the most beautiful grenade toss in movie history. Yes. <laughs> where, where Fickner just plants it right into a window. And as soon as it breaks the, like the windowsill, you know. <laughs> and the was- pyrotechnics too, beautiful. Like it's, it's amazing. Like, uh, it's an amazing combination of like cinematography and pyrotechnics. Like they make it look, they make one look real cool. Yeah. I mean, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, the thing I appreciate most about it, uh, which in a lot of war movies, like grenades set off like an almost like nuclear blast whenever they go off or a fiery explosion. Yeah. Fire. But you know, you just see this, this big poof, you see the black smoke, you know, it, it just, I thought they did really well. I also thought they did really well with like the RPGs as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. I, I, it, I, it, you know, every, most of these military movies have like military advisors on. Um, and it's usually, you know, Dale Die for whatever reason. He's made a career out of doing that. Um, and it was insane, Brad Ryan. Yeah. yeah. And he's he's been progressively promoted in every uh, movie he's done where he's got a little cameo. You know, he goes from being a captain to a colonel and saving Private Ryan. Same thing you know? happened to Arlie Ermey, right? They, they retroactively promoted him to Gunny and he was a fucking pogue the whole time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> oh man gunny rest in peace arlie um mm-hmm. but at at, at the the super six four crash site mike durant is still alive but the rest of the crew is dead right and we see the little bird hovering over top and you have sugart uh and gary gordon um requesting to go down and and what, what do they say secure the the crash site right mm-hmm. and they are denied outright just completely denied no fucking way not gonna happen Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see Strucker, right? He's he's back at base. Hoop comes up to him and is like, hey, man, you might want to clean out the Humvees <laughs> because they showed this picture. There's like bits and pieces of people. There's spent ammo. They just look like a shit show. Mm-hmm. All right. And this is where Strucker gives, uh, you know, Kenny Thomas that pep talk, right? Um, and Kenny Thomas is like, Sergeant, we're going back out there. And he's like, yeah, we got to go to the Super 6 floor crash site. So we're heading out. And then you, you see him look in the mirror and Kenny Thomas takes that big pool off his inhaler. Yeah. And then he hops in the last truck of the convoy. I forgot about the inhaler. Because <laughs> he kind of gives him a choice. Like you can stay, basically he's like, I can't make you do shit, which is true. Like, like I remember talking about this, like with my team leader one time in Afghanistan, he's like, every time we go out, it's a choice. Like yeah. you could just say no at any point. People did. People, I had, I had dudes in my unit that were just like the fear. Once if the fear grips you, you can't do it. Yep. And I yep. had dudes who the fear would grip them. All the dudes who had families, it always gripped them first. And sometimes we'd just be like, stay in the truck. Mm-hmm. I was just, a, I was a dumb kid who didn't have fucking shit to live for. Well, <laughs> like, oh, dude, my my first deployment to Afghanistan, man. My my uh, one of my AGs was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. And I was like, not a problem. That you know, that's fine. Um, and then I went to the boss and I'm like, listen, like you said, it's once it gets its hooks in you, you can't get them out. Nope. So I was like, we can do one of two things. Let's get him back to Kandahar. He can go work in like the talk, you know, at battalion level, he can drive around Kandahar and, and do whatever, or we send him home. 
you know? And they were like, well, sending him home, that's cowardice. And I'm like, no, it's fucking not, man. Just yeah. calm down, okay? Fuck yourself, you fucking idiot. Yeah. He's, he's smarter than the rest of us. That's why he's scared. Yeah, exactly. We're you know? dumb. We're the weirdos. You, he is normal. Yeah. So we ended up getting him home. Uh, and it took me, like, literally the corporal uh, to go up to battalion HQ and advocate to get him home. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know how it is being like a, a like your corporal is not even a real NCO. Um, but like you're, you're there and you're standing at attention in front of this, you know, Lieutenant Colonel, a man that, you know, I had served with as a company commander uh, and I trusted. And once I laid it out for him, he's like, you know what, that was a good call. We'll get him home. Don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, thank God. You know, I think I threw up afterwards too. <laughs> but well, good on. I mean, that's, I don't, I, I don't, don't know many leaders that I had in the military would have done that remotely anywhere close to, to do, doing that for one of their soldiers. Well, I'll tell you right now, Tim McAteer, and that's his name. He was one of the, probably one of the finest men I ever served with. And he, he wasn't one of those guys that paid lip service to taking care of his people. He actually did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I appreciate him for it. Um, but we're, we, we, we're back to our favorite two, our buddy cops in the movie. Uh, and they link up with Sergeant Urich. Thank God they finally got an NCO there to kind of direct them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at this point, you know, uh, Twombly shot over Nelson's head so much. Nelson's deaf. Okay. And Nelson's the 60 gunner. And Urich's like, hey, man. And he's like, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> he's at certain points in the movie, he's just going, yeah. <laughs> just like, making like ululating weird moans because he's so deaf he's yeah. trying to like see if he can hear himself it's pretty realistic but he looks so goofy though. yeah and and the thing is is Twombly's like uh sergeant he's deaf it's uh it's my fault you know <laughs> he just cops to it <laughs> well they're doing like keystone cops benny hill of like fighting militiamen when they're running through houses and shit to get there. Yeah. It's like, this oh, around mis- misbehaving. You know, yeah, <laughs> just shooting, shooting militiamen, falling over, <laughs> making sure they're down. But, um, you know, we, 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 this movie makes great use of scene transition, I think, to kind of keep the story rolling. Um, so you get to see these individual groups uh, and they they immediately go to Grimes, right? Who decides that I'm not behind the desk. I got to get heroic. And William Fickner is like, goes to his Delta buddy and is like, hey, I need you to go draw fire. And when this dickhead reloads, I'm going to shoot him. And the guy, you know, the bad guy was shooting at him with a, a 50 cal. The technical. Yeah, the technical, uh, the, people's, the people's assault vehicle. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. But, but Fickner is like, he gets a jam. The guy he sent out there to draw fire has to reload. And Grimes is like, I got it. And oh, he, got it. he runs out with his 203 and misses the first round. <laughs> and then he's like standing in the middle of the road. The 50 cal goes to reload. Grimes reloads at 203 and hits the technical, right? And then the RPG comes and knocks you and McGregor off his feet. And he gets covered in dirt. And Fickner runs over there. And you hear like the your your hearing coming back. Yep. And then Fickner's like, "Crimes, are you okay?" And he's like, "My ears are ringing." (laughs) (laughs) I like how there's like he he gets buried in like almost like a foot of dirt too. The explosion. (laughs) Like Victor has to like get a shovel and yeah. cover him. He busts out. He's the only Delta guy with an E tool. Yeah, he starts digging him out. Yeah, he's just like buried up to his like neck and sand. Like, Arr. 
yeah it's a, it's a good scene though it's well it's well the, the sound design in that scene in particular is very good yeah uh but then we we see sugar and gordon again you know they're asking to insert into the area around super six four um and this is what i uh, thought was kind of confusing because the dod allowed actual recording of the radio conversations to be used in the film right mm. and uh while this wasn't one of them it was like they used a transcript from the actual radio transmissions and garrison actually got on the horn with sugar and gordon and said hey listen you have to tell me you know the commanding general that this is what you want to do and then told the colonel and the C2 bird, hey, it's up to you. So I thought that was kind of weird because as a general, like as the man that put this whole mission together, the responsibility is on you. Mm -hmm. You don't delegate that kind of thing. No, no, because he knows he's sending them to his, their, his, their death. Yeah. And he doesn't want that responsibility. That's cowardly. You do it or you don't. Yep. But Sugar and Gordon get approval. And at this point, the C2 bird is recording all this footage of several hundred Somalis running towards the downed aircraft. So they put Sugar and Gordon down and they immediately get there. They look in the bird and they find Durant, who's already starting to return fire at people uh, that are charging you know, his downed aircraft. Um, He's wounded badly, always has a little MP5. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, he would end up with a broken leg and I think he broke like three vertebrae in his lower back. Mm -hmm. So when he makes that the illusion to like, yeah, my legs broke and my back feels kind of funny. That's what it was. Um, but they, they pull him out. They kind of put him in this little alcove and, and, you know, fucking sugar runs over there and is like, Hey man, anybody comes around these corners, you shoot them. And now keep in mind, uh, the, both sugar and Gordon were like Delta snipers. Like that was their job. Um, and what I thought like for me being the, the, the rifle junkie that I am, uh, the old school M14 with the CCO on it. Mm -hmm. Holy shit, that looked rad. That really looked mm -hmm. rad. Um, I had one of the EBRs. Um, I hated I hated that thing. I carried a basic bones M14 when I was on the gun teams, man. I never I never got to use the EBR. I was a fucking squad DM, designated marksman, and uh, that thing stayed in the truck because I never had any distance. I was fucking fighting in goddamn pomegranate orchards and shit. I never had any any reason to take any long shots. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, for a while, that's all I carried was an M14, man. Like, I still have like 10 M14 mags, dude. <laughs> that's dope. Yeah, dude. It was, I, I would always joke because, like, when we're going through the orchards, I would just like, something's happening here. And then, <laughs> like, my, like, my team leader would be like, shut the fuck up, dude. This it is not me. funny. <laughs> it ain't me. <laughs> but we, we see, like, McKnight is completely lost. Uh, and then the C2 bird's like, hey, Danny, you're going to have to go back the way you came. And he's like, I got to go back through all that again? Yeah. Like, this is bullshit. And then they're like, well, can you make it? And he's like, no, we have to go back to base. We have to go back to base right now. Um, you know, at this point, it's like everybody in the convoy is wounded. Yeah, he's um, looking back and he's just seeing, like, meat hanging from the fucking, from the inside of the Humvee. Dude's, like, wounded and shit. And he's like, like, I'll be a liability when I get there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he says in the, you know, he's just like, I'm going to be more, you know, I'm going to do more harm than help if I get to the, to the site. So they go back to base uh, to kind of, re you know, reload and get more people uh, in this convoy. Um, and then we see, they go back to Sugar and Gordon, you know, they're, they're transitioning weapons, they're passing magazines to each other. 
by the way, Shagart and Gordon played by uh, Johnny Strong from the first Fast and the Furious movie and uh, Jamie Lannister, Nicholas yeah. Coster Waldo, Waldo. Yeah, yeah. It, Jamie, Game of Thrones. Yeah, Jamie uh, had both hands in this movie, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it lost his brain, though, at that, yeah. a certain and, point. Yeah, he, he did. He would get, he would get capped and, um, uh, you know, Shugart runs back to Durant, drops, uh, you know, uh, Gordon's rifle with him and is like, hey, Gordy's dead. I'm going to be out there. Uh, you know, good luck. You know, mm -hmm. and then he goes out there um, and to look on Durant's face. Uh, I, I thought Rob uh, uh, or Rod Eldred played that part perfectly because you could just see the despair. Mm -hmm. Like, this is it, man. This, this is all this is the, the last few moments of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and then this is at this point, when all this has happened, when two helicopters are down, when you've had two convoys that are essentially combat and effective, you've got people strung out over like three kilometers in the middle of Mogadishu. At this point, this is when Garrison turns to that little dickhead on his staff and is like, hey man, you gotta go get the UN to help us out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and the UN contingent was uh, the 10th Mountain Division, a uh, Pakistani contingent and a, a melee contingent. Um, and the reason that they did that was because Pakistanis and Malays are both, you know, for, those are Islamic countries. They, mm -hmm. they knew the customs, they knew the religious customs in the country, and they were supposed to be kind of like the people out front and the 10th mountain would just come in if shit got really bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, but again, Garrison waited until all this happened to make that phone call. Um, so again, you know, we talked about him kind of being a coward and not accepting responsibility for Shugart and Gordon going down on the ground. Like this should be laid at his feet as well. Mm -hmm. You know, cause the UN at this point had ass, they had APCs, they had tanks. Can you imagine having like half a division there to help you with all this? Like, yeah, they had up armored Humvees, uh, APCs. Like he was trying to run a like, light arm lightly armored cool guy uh fucking ninja operation yeah and in fact he knows he's fucked the moment one bird goes down too because he says we just lost the initiative yep like the moment you lose the initiative and you've got guys wearing bicycle helmets the delta operators running around out there is you you know that you're gonna need and hundreds of militiamen and, and, and like encroaching on a position you now have to defend until you can get all your people out and you can't even get to you know, for several hours, he should he he absolutely knew that he was going to need those assets, but he was too fucking like Texas proud or some dumb shit. Yeah, fucking call it in. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, we see they transition from that scene to Sugar, you know, getting shot and eventually just getting mowed down, um, and then the crowd descends on top of the the helicopter and starts tearing it apart. Uh, and then we see Michael Durant, you know, he starts getting a shit beat out of him. He's getting choked out. And then I guess we see, uh, uh, instead of Captain Sunglasses, we see Major Sunglasses because he, he steps in front of Captain Sunglasses and it's like, hey, you know, Muhammad Farah Adid claims this man as a prisoner and he's going to be taken alive, period. Mm -hmm. And then everybody just kind of backs off, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we see Strucker again. He's trying to find his way to the crash site. And Eric, Eric Bana, you know, old hoop, mm -hmm. you know, he's like, man, get me the fuck out of these trucks. I'm, I'm going to take these guys on foot. We're going to get there, mm -hmm. you know. This dog ain't going to hunt. Yeah. <laughs> and Strucker, Strucker's like, you know what? He passes the word up on the radio and 
Hoot hears it, he's out. Like he just takes dismounts and takes off, man. Um, and I, I think, you know, we, you and I both know there's nothing pretty about war. Uh, there's nothing positive to be drawn from it. No. But that scene where Eversman is just trying to keep, you know, the morale up at his little corner, mm-hmm. um, I, I thought that was a good scene. I mm-hmm. thought that was a really good one. Um, because then he, uh, you know, you get Sanderson, you know, William Fickner comes in, you know, he hears him on the horn, like, Hey, you know, whatever his call sign was, you know, uh, you know, Hey man, I'm here. Just don't shoot at the Southeast or whatever. And you like, you can kind of see Evers, Eversman like, Oh, thank God. Somebody's here, please. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. My first, my first fucking mission that I'm, I'm leading, like he was boys with these guys the day before. Now he's in charge of them. Like, yeah. And that is a weird situation to be put in. I have, I have been there. Um, and it's also like you're, it's depicting him like trying to, like, he's an idealist who's having his, like, his, his innocence dashed, like, as throughout this mission going on, right? But yeah. he's like, recognizes he has a role, like, he's already in the shit. So it's not okay to be like, oh, this is all for naught. You know, like, yeah. like, oh, this is a fool's errand. We are in a hopeless situation that we, we created centuries ago through colonialism. Um, and now I'm doing war with people that will do no good for anyone. Uh, but in that situation, he's just trying to like, well, I got to better take care of these boys or like, well, I can right now. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty relatable. Yeah. I felt, I felt that way. Yeah. I mean, that's the roughest thing about becoming a leader is knowing that you know, you have to kind of set up those boundaries, you know, like Friday, you know, Friday night, Saturday nights. Yeah, dude, we're boys, but you know, you got to keep in mind, I, it, this is on me now, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your well-being, your training, that's on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is, it's a, it's, it's a weird line to walk. Um, but then we see our, our now three cop uh, comedic relief finally make it mm-hmm. uh, to Eversman. And then we see Twomley get shot in the butt pack, which set off a smoke grenade. Uh, what you know i i would say he would be eversman's buddy like one of his one of his better friends you know smith you know he gets shot and eversman's position comes under heavy fire right uh so they pull smith in he's got this deep leg wound you know doc opens up the pants and you just see that arterial spray just right um and doc is like hey eversman you got to make the call to captain steel for an immediate medevac we can't wait we have to get him out and Eversman does, and Captain Steele, you know, he talks to his boss, and they're like, hey, we can't do it. Uh, we can't land anything. And you could just see, like, kind of the air come out of... Can't risk uh, another bird. Yeah. You know, they're you not see- wrong. They're not, they fucked it up so bad already. They can't, like, they, another crash site makes... They're getting deeper and deeper in the shit with every bird they lose. Yeah. You know, so they, you have this scene where Eversman's, like, holding, you know, providing that pressure... Twombly's holding Smith down to keep him from rolling around and then Hoot man Hoot's moving through the city uh, and he makes it through the the you know to the crash site at Super 6-4 and see it's nothing all he finds is you know Shugart or Gordon's helmet um, and then he they piano wire the fucking dudes in the bird oh dude no that would that's that's a little later on that's that's oh when, shit sorry yeah no my but bad, he, he this is when he just drops a thermite right and then heads to 6-1 Right. But, you know, Garrison's aide, you know, that, like I said, his little, that little asshole, I can't remember his name, but he, again, he played, he's made a living playing that part as well. Um, But he's, he's at the UN, you know, forces 
And uh, he calls Garrison up. Is like, General, they said they aren't going to be ready for another few hours uh, because you didn't notify them. And then Garrison gets butthurt about it. Uh, but, but it's like, dude, if you would have just made the phone call earlier in the day, mm-hmm. like, you would have been better off, right? Mm-hmm. But then the scene, um, the scene was written by Mark Bowden before he was taken off the project completely. Uh, but he, he did it to kind of add, he, he said he did it to add like a, a human side to the Somalis, which outside of the scene is, is glaringly missing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's Durant having a conversation with his captor, right? And the captor asks if he's the ranger that's been killing his people. And Durant's like, no, I'm just a pilot. Um, and then his captor lets him know, you know, that killing is negotiating in Somalia and that there can be no peace without victory. Um, and like killing is a form of negotiation, right? So like, he's like, so you can, you know, you can sit here and drop people to kill Somalis, but you can't negotiate with us. Like he doesn't, you know, he makes it seem like he doesn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, you know, Durant just like, I, you know, my, my government, my command will not negotiate with you, you know? You know what it reminds me of? There's a great scene in uh, Captain Phillips um, where he's talking to his, his captor, who is an actual Somali actor. Yeah. Um, he's very good. I forget his name. Um, he's very good. Amazing that whoever will, no one will ever forget. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I'm the captain. Yeah, he's, he's, he's part of the cultural zeitgeist now. He really he is. is. <laughs> he is. Um, but there's a scene in the movie where he's like, he, like uh, Tom Hanks says to him, like, there's got to be something better than this. It's got to be something better. He was maybe in America. Yeah, maybe in America, it's a it's a similar thing like where Durant like the cl- the clash of of the worlds collide and they have a moment where they like are discuss like let me one up you about how I'm I'm actually doing the good thing you know like I'm a colonial savior and he's like you won't even you won't even talk to us fuck off yeah yeah I mean and that's that's the that's something that needs to be heavily discussed when we have movies like this is that you know, Ridley Scott said this was an anti-war movie. And, you know, like you, I've watched this thing. Yeah, I've watched this thing several hundred times. Um, And there's nothing anti-war about it. Um, No, it's, it's, um, they, he turns, he turns this uh, Somali operation into a Saving Private Ryan style uh, heroic effort. Yeah. Um, it's and it's it's not it's a it's a a post-colonial uh, uh, do, doomed effort doomed conflict uh, brief effort in in post-colonial adventurism in, in Africa um, and it shows the real price of that like especially like it's the it's in, in a distinctly neoliberal effort too because they tried to do it on the cheap on the I, they they this idea that, that we had such a well-trained, well-equipped, agile force that we could go in with a single ranger battalion, some Delta guys, fucking capture some of the lower tier guys and work our way up to a deed in a few weeks. We'd yep. be done. And Clinton is calling them every other day being like, why isn't it done yet? These are, this is some fucking backwater. And this is what happens because then you, you there's, there's no, they do not recognize the extent to which the damage has been done to this country. And their singular objective, because it is different than Afghanistan in the sense that like, or Iraq, they have like, it's not a quagmire. They have yeah. a singular objective, take out a deed, um, which 
normally we would be able to do pretty quickly, but like they fuck it up so badly because they don't actually dedicate the resources to do it, which probably helps prevent a quagmire. Um, but like they don't, they don't end up accomplishing their mission. They just end up with a whole bunch of dead people for no fucking reason. And Ridley Scott makes this movie with the help of the DOD to give it meaning. Assign yep. meaning. It's not about, it's about the man next to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and then we get to this scene, which I think feeds into that whole line of thought, right? Is this is where Eversman's trying to clamp uh, Smith's femoral artery, right? And Doc shoves his like whole hand in this dude's leg looking for this thing and they almost get it and he's got the clamps on and then it wiggles its way out and then you see smith just kind of you know smith passes out and he's 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 leaving you know he's like he's essentially done um and then they go to what i thought was the dumbest scene in the movie right this is grimes finding a coffee grinder finding a filter boiling water and making a cup of coffee in the middle of all of this. It's all on the grind. It's all on the grinds. Can't be too coarse, can't be too fine, right? Um, but I'm sitting here, because I watched it again last night, dude, just to make sure I can build a good thing in notes and have a good track. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And I've watched a lot of dumb things, you know? Mm-hmm. But like, I'm telling you right now, I don't give a shit if I've got shrapnel in my foot, which, which Grimes does at this point. Um, I don't care if I'm down to the last like six rounds I have. If I'm surrounded by people, I'm pulling security, man. And I'm trying not to fall asleep. I'm not making a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> especially wasting what little water they had to do. This so. is a weird thing that happens in this movie too, where like they're all pulling really shit security for a bunch of guys who are surrounded by militia who should be able to determine which building they're in pretty easily. Yeah. And knowing with their numbers, they can keep the pressure on them until they just run out of ammo and kill all of them yeah um but they're just chilling like yeah there's like maybe one guy sitting near a door like remember uh there's a part where captain Steele, he uh there's a wounded guy he's like yeah ruiz ruiz guard guard this door (laughs) someone comes through that door you give him more in the chest and two in the head yeah you know (laughs) and i'm just like oh my god dude that that is like some ranger ranger ranger-esque type shit to do um, I just love the idea of one guy who's like literally puking up blood, wound, wounded, and he's like, "You're my security for this door." Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool, man. Yeah, but see, this is this is where we see them uh, garrot the the guys on the the technicals. This is where who, you know, and, and a other Delta buddy bust out the the fishing wire and choke guys out until they die. I'm pretty sure there's no Delta guys that carry piano wire to fucking mafia take yeah, people out. Yeah, you know, like, it, can you imagine, like, pre-combat checks? Like, you got your got your piano wire? Ooh, shit, thanks, man. I almost forgot that. It's on my cot right now. <laughs> Gonna fucking Corleone some dudes out there, huh? But then we see the Pakistani convoy finally roll out, right? The UN forces are getting involved. Um, and what I thought was weird, if you read the book or even the UN report, which I have because I'm a nerd, the 10th mountain was the heavy lifting for the relief uh, for the UN forces. It wasn't even like the Pakistanis and the Malays were involved, but their commanders were like, no, fuck Garrison. Uh, like he kept us out of the loop. Like, why would we actively go and help him? Um, you know, when he thought so little of us to have us be involved, you know, you 10th mountain guys you go do it we'll kick you a couple apcs to help you get the wounded out it's also very realistic that garrison would do that because if for fucking 
like uh lower tier 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 fucking three four whatever you'd call us fucking dumb grunts that we were uh you'd have sf come in the middle of the night and fuck up your whole ao oh yeah um, they come in and they'd kill a bunch of people they kick down doors kill everyone in the room and then the next day you're going you don't even know about it you go on a presence patrol and the whole village is wanting to rightfully murder all of you yeah and you're like i don't even know what you're talking about yeah. the americans came here and killed us yeah, you, you, you might, your company commander might get a phone call the next morning after the fact from like that team leader or somebody in like the joint operations command, you know, like, yeah, we did this thing in your area. So we're just giving you the heads up. It's like, oh, you, you couldn't have done it beforehand. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll just go deal with the blowback now. Thanks. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, but we see Smith, you know, Smith dies, you know, Doc's trying to resuscitate him and Eversman stops him. And then, and then we see this kind of weird, like, bro moment between Hoot and Eversman, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Hoot's this, this pragmatic kind of, like, uh, uh, mysterious operator. Mm -hmm. And he's trying, you know, he, it ain't up to you, man. It's just war. You know, you did good today, Sergeant. Now it's time to start thinking about how you're going to get these guys out, you know? Like, some real attaboy type shit, you know? Once that first bullet goes past your head, politics and all that shit goes right out the window. Right out the window. <laughs> but this is this is the most ridiculous action scene, uh, I think, where the little birds are like, "Hey, man, you're gonna have to put a strobe up, and mark the enemy position." Yes. And and Eversman just kind of like tosses it out, and they're like, "Well, we can't tell, friend from foe. You're gonna have to do something else." And Eversman's like, "Oh no, I, I'm gonna go put it on the roof." And you you see the slow mo run of Eversman and all this gunfire <laughs> and he picks it up and he like does a hook shot to get it on the roof mm -hmm. and then and then you see the Somali guys pick it up like what's this and then you just mm -hmm. see these little bird gun runs uh where they perforate everybody mm -hmm. um yeah it's uh that scene is particularly awesome because of uh what I really liked about it was um at night you got your you're watching the green tv under night vision so yeah. what really scott decided to do in the movie was just like put green light all around them like like tinge the whole air like you're not like you're watching it through night vision you know yeah i i will say this when the the few guys that had uh nods um they had the nice honeycomb effect so you knew that the gas inside was getting low uh, so you know that their equipment was about as good as ours, uh, mm -hmm. and that makes me feel a little happier. Now, keep in mind, this was in 93, uh, and I used those same nods in, like, 2003. So, yeah. What, what, what iteration did you have? What were they, what were oh, they called? Oh, dude, I had the PVS-7s first. Um, oh, yes. And, and had the, the 10 Deltas, right? The ones that, those are the double monocular, uh, the, yeah, the uh, double eye ones. Yeah, I, I didn't have those. I went straight from the uh, the seven deltas to the monocular ones, and the then 14s. yeah, and then my last deployment, I had the weird ones uh, that you could flip between uh, green green light and thermal that had the huge battery pack on the back. I hated those things, but I never got to use those. I remember them talking about them when I got out, and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna have thermal soon." I had a, a past ten. One of those giant thermal sites you could strap oh, on I a, hated, a saw or something. Hated those things, man. It took so many batteries. <laughs> they they would fucking eat batteries. Yes. Make sure you have this on for all night operations. Okay, well I'm gonna need 600 batteries to make it. Yeah, I'm gonna need a literal like battery bearer. 
Yeah. I'm going to need a BB instead of an <laughs> AB. Yeah. Oh, those things were ridiculous. But like we, the convoy finally gets to Captain Steel and they start loading up all the wounded. And Steel calls Eversman on the horn. He's like, hey, Sergeant, you know, convoy will be there in five. Get your people ready to move. And, you know, he's elated at this point because he's just like, God damn, get me out of here, please. Um, but the problem is, is because we leave nobody behind, the SAR medics are cutting Cliff Wolcott out of Super 6-1. They have to, mm-hmm. like, literally bring in a gigantic saw to deconstruct the entire cockpit because when he went down, that whole dash essentially cut him off uh, at the legs mm-hmm. and then embedded it like it was so tight on them they couldn't free them so they had mm-hmm. to cut the whole damn thing out and like with the with the the extended edition you see mcknight going up to ty burrell you know who's sitting there watching his buddy cut him up he's like how long are you gonna be and he's like 45 minutes and he just we don't have 45 minutes and burrell's just like uh okay all right, we, we don't have 45 minutes, <laughs> right? Do you want me to cut them in half faster? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> this all only works so so quick. They do have teams like that, too. Like, we had, when we would lose a truck, and we'd have dudes get, like, get cut up, cut, like, yep. limbs and lose body parts and shit. We had the PJs coming. Yeah. PJs would come in with jacks and, and torches and shit and get get the most of it out, then you'd have to go up with the squeegee and clean them up afterwards. Yeah, when the army did away with the Pathfinder teams, they were turned into search and rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, and my company commander, one of my favorites, a guy named Matt Hoffman, he was so pumped because he finished up his regular command time and he's like, I'm taking over a Pathfinder team. And I was like, badass, like, pull me, pull me over there, sir. And then he calls me up. He's like, I'm not pulling you. And I'm like, why? He's like, you didn't see it? And he sends me a link saying the army is doing away with all Pathfinder units and they're going to be like uh, restructured. And I was like, well, what are you guys getting restructured as? He's like, dude, search and rescue. I was like, ooh, ooh. I was like, at least you're flying, right? He's like, no, we're going to be in trucks. I was like, oh, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, literally clipping your wings right there. Well, dude, the army's, it, I mean, I, you know, airborne, we can talk about that at length another time, but the the fact that you literally have no pathfinder units now so if you actually had to enable an airborne element into something you don't have people that are trained to go in beforehand and mark drop zones like you literally took away that entire you know skill set and it it, it all came down to just saving a little bit of money because not not enough people are going to pathfinder school Mm -hmm. but at 5 45 the morning of october 4th as the movie lets us know, all right? There's a small argument saying that 10th Mountain's gonna come up and, and, and secure the area and get us out. And Captain Steele's like, no, fuck that, man. My Rangers will see us out. And all the vehicles are filled. And then we get what, they, what is now known as the Mogadishu Mile. Mm-hmm. Now, what the movie portrays is not what really happened. Um, they actually ran out and linked up with another convoy and were trucked into the soccer stadium where the UN mission was at. But in the movie, they make it seem like they ran five miles behind the convoy and took fire the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, no room, get on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting on a fucking roof. <laughs> but they eventually the Raiders make it back to the soccer stadium. And, uh, you know, you see like essentially the, the after effects of, of, the, of the battle, right? Like there's people laying in, in you know, 
in piles of blood. There's spent brass everywhere. Like you said, there's chunks of people inside the vehicles. And maybe the most serene part of this entire thing, because they slowed the scene down, you see these, these melee or Pakistani soldiers bringing trays of water out uh, and they just like break through the smoke, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, that's, a, that's an interesting like you know, cinematographic uh, you know, tool there, but I wasn't... It was a choice. Yeah, yeah. And then <sighs> Garrison is like walking through all this, right? And he walks, he's, for whatever reason, the, the commanding general walks through the surgeon's tent, right? which I've never seen. And you know, any surgeon worth their salt would be like, sir, get the fuck out. You are not sterile. You know, I've got a ton of people coming in, you know, you're in the way, right? But there's this huge arterial bleed and he just picks it up this cloth and he starts wiping the floor, right? And like they, they I, I, I imagine Scott did it to kind of show that he felt bad about what happened, you know, Garrison mm -hmm. did. But I was like, dude, fuck this guy, right? Um, but, uh, you know, steel captain steel's walking around the triage area as well and he sees ruiz that guy that you know he told you know you put two in a chest and one or you know one in chest two in the head mm -hmm. uh, you know and you know steel sits there and talks to him you know ruiz is like you know sir the bullet went through and through i'll be i'll be good to go are we going after him captain steel's like yeah man we're gonna go after him he's like you don't leave without me like i have to be there yeah you know and i'm just like oh, oh. Me. <laughs> yeah you know it, it's ridiculous. And then we get another bro moment between Eversman and Hoot, right? And Hoot's like smashing like a plate of rice. He's refilling magazines. He's throwing grenades into pouches, right? And, and you know, Hoot's like, you know, Eversman's like, you're going back out there? Hoot's like, we still got people out there. I got to head back out, man. And this I'm is what... Out there. Yeah. As he's, as he's smashing that rice. Yeah, you know, and th this is where we get probably the best, like, soundbite of the whole movie. You know, when I go home, people ask me, Hey, who, why you do it? You some kind of war junkie? They don't understand why we do it. It's about the man next to you, <laughs> you know? They don't understand. It's about the man next to you. Yep. And then, like, Eversman starts reaching for a mag, and Hoot's like, man, get out of here. I work better on my own, you know? <laughs> you see, like, like Eversman, he's, like, not so much inspired by Hoot's statement, but, like, well, I'm not going to bitch out. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to go, too. And he's like, bro, you ain't going to do this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, just chill. Just keep your ass here, man. Mm -hmm. um, but then we get kind of like a narrative going, and you hear Eversman talking, and he's actually just talking to Smith's corpse uh, in a room full of guys that are being prepped to be sent back home. Um, and then he walks out, and he sees General Garrison kind of just standing on the flight line, um, and and Garrison just kind of gives a head nod, you know, and looks away. Mm -hmm. um, and then they they kind of close it out, uh, you know, cinematics wise, with just these this aircraft. Uh, like a C-130 full of, you know, caskets. And you see the ramp coming up and it fades to black. And then we get the scroll, right? Where they talk about, you know, over a thousand Somalis were killed and 19 American soldiers uh, were also killed. And they went through the whole list of everybody that had, all the Americans that had died. And, mm -hmm. you know, it makes, you know, uh, it, it points out that Sugar and Gordon were both awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously, the first since Vietnam. You know, and it makes, uh, you know, let you know that Michael Durant would be released after 11 days. And literally the next day, Bill Clinton's like, we're done. Everybody go home. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, we get this gem, you know, Garrison would take full responsibility for what happened as he should. 
Um, and Mohammed Farah Adid would be killed on 2 August 1996, and Garrison would retire on the 3rd. Um, and that wraps up the movie. Now, before we talk about this real quick, I, fun fact, did you know that Mohammed Farah Adid's son yes. would move to the United States and become a Marine, damn it? <laughs> and then, what did he do after? He ran for president of Somalia. Yeah, I thought he went back and like fomented an insurrection. Uh, he might have, but I know he ran for president when they were trying to throw elections together. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, I wish I knew. I remember a buddy, a Marine Corps buddy of mine, uh, telling me about how, like, yeah, he he came, got training from the Marine Corps, and went went back to went back to Somalia, and like just like followed in Daddy's footsteps. Oh, I would, warlord. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but that that's the end of the movie. There now, like Dick and I have already said, this is not an anti-war movie by any stretch of the imagination. No, um, this was war porn. Um, you know, and I don't think you could excuse that. That's exactly what this was. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had already mentioned that, you know, this, it, it tried to make this, this story, this big historical narrative um, that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. If, if any, if, if any um, you know, like heroics happened, it was in spite of the fact that Garrison and his staff bungled and fucked this up from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say the movie did portray that correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anybody could watch this and say, well, you know what? Garrison did a great job. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that, that uh, you know, you could say that. Um, Not at all. Um, and what I would say about this movie it, it does a very good job of encapsulating why the military is appealing to some people. Now, obviously you got poverty draft. Some people need it because you get all the pay and benefits that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. I wouldn't be able to go to college without, without uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't drafted about, oh, I'm not a victim of the poverty draft though. Yeah. But I, wouldn't, I did benefit greatly from uh, the benefits that I received because I joined the military. I don't know where my life would be without it. Um, I shouldn't have to go do imperialism to do it, but what was appealing to me in this movie is that, like you said, the mission is entirely fucked. They try to put an historical narrative around it, but basically the historical narrative is that we were trying to do a good thing and it got fucked up for a myriad of reasons, bad decision making and stuff like that, that it was the heroism of the men on the ground and stuff, but they, they, traditional like war movies, modern war movies are always like, make sure they we tell them more as hell you know? yeah it's not just a heroic like the fucking trumpets and then you get a moment of glory it's war as hell but they have to balance that with what's what's appealing about it as well and hoot encaps he he completely encapsulates that where he says it's about the man next to you it's yeah. about they give you the military gives you community and it gives you purpose you're united behind a singular purpose. You and your boys got a mission. You got told you got told what to do, and you got dudes who have your back all day, every day. And that is a powerful thing that people, all, every, that is a human, not just a desire, it's an innate need. It's a need, and it's incredibly powerful for like stories like this to show that when you're, when you're missing that, when you're like, when you feel like you don't, you're, you're, 
atomized and disconnected from, from your society or your surrounding community. And you're just looking for something. You're looking for a band of brothers. Yeah. You're looking, you sheds his blood today with me. You know, like you're, you're looking for, for that. And you, you're rudderless. You don't know what you're doing with your life. You want to be achieving something greater. And you think you can get both those things at once. And that's how this movie is an incredibly, incredibly effective recruiting tool. That's how, like I said, fucking half the reason I joined the military is probably because it's a goddamn movie. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the thing. It showed like this, uh, it glorified war, right? Um, in, in, in the guise of, you know, what Hoot said, it's about the people around you. That's why you go to war, right? But, you know, you and I both know that that's not the case. We don't, you know, that might be why we did, but mm-hmm. the government sends us overseas to, you know, what do they call it? Secure strategic objectives in a region. Protect American interests. Yeah, protect American interests. Well, what about the interests of the people on the ground that mm-hmm. live there? You know, and this movie does not give a no no this movie completely ignored the somali people right they're um, just and, chattering savages with rpgs and ak-47s babbling in the background getting killed and killing yes and what i what i did learn was that the 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 few sentences you heard of you know a somali speak in the movie was not even somali it was not a language that was widely spoken uh in somalia right so uh you know there was a, Sm- a Somali kind of like community group that spoke out against this film when it came out. Uh, the Pakistani government, including Pervez Musharraf, right? The general that in a coup became president of Pakistan mm-hmm. and one of our you know, allies in the region came out and said, no, this movie is 100% bullshit. You know, the Pakist- we would have been more involved if the American government would have let us, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, it, it's it completely ignores the Somali people because yeah, I get it. 19 soldiers died. Right. I I understand how for us, you know, as Americans, that's a big deal, you know? Um, But, you know, it's a bigger deal that a thousand Somalis died. Mm -hmm. Um, And they don't say militia. They say a thousand Somalis. Somalis. You don't see a single civilian casualty in this movie. You see, they kill one woman. After she picks up an AK. Yeah, and that's when Kurth was like, don't do it, don't do it. And she picks yep. up the rifle. And he like begs her. He's like, please don't make me murder you, woman. Yeah. Um, but in the book, Bowden, Bowden does it. Uh, it's not as good as I would have liked. But uh, I remember there was some very visceral imagery, imagery that he yeah. I, I will always stick with me. One was uh, the, the, prop, the, the, the rotor blast coming off the UH-60 was so powerful. It blew a woman's baby from her arms. Yeah. And the baby died. Like it, it killed the child. Like it like blew the, the baby like down the street and like a, across the across the road. Um, another one too, like I remember he, he, there was literal testimony from a guy um, who said when Pilla died, um, he picked up his saw, he got up in the, the hatch of the Humvee, and when they were going back in the convoy, boy, he blasted every goddamn thought thing he saw. Yeah. Yeah. I killed I mean, everyone. I mean, and that's the thing. What that gets lost when you see the pictures of Sugar Gordon being drugged through the streets of Mogadishu. Yeah, they get humanity. Yeah, they get look at how look what these savages did to these people. Yeah, you know these men, and it's it's something similar to uh, you know like the Blackwater 
contractors that yes. were killed and then strung up on the bridge in Baghdad, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, like you said, we give them that piece of humanity, but there were a lot of Somalis in Mogadishu that wanted no part of that fight, but there was nowhere else for them to go. Like you mm-hmm. are literally, you are setting boots on the ground in the busiest part of a, of a big city. Um, and, and then you bring, you know, everything to bear that you had at the time, you know, little birds, uh, like I said, devastating effects. Uh, you know, you've got a ranger element and you've got a delta element and those guys will fight to the fucking last man if they have to, mm-hmm. um, you know, but we, the Somalis were completely left out their struggle and the things that they dealt with after, you know, this fight, um, which I think that, that's a big failing. That is a huge fail on the part mm-hmm. of this movie. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and like I said, this, this was not an anti-war movie at all. This was not, this was, this was, uh, you know, I said it once, I'll say it again. This was war born completely. Um, I, I felt a glorified war. Uh, and, and, you know, that, I think that had more to do with what happened on September 11th. Uh, well, yeah. And like the, the, the deal, when the DOD is involved from the get-go with these movies, in order to make a movie of this scale, to tell the story that you want to tell, like they almost, in the future, I remember them talking about how we almost had to use Hueys instead of literal instead of Blackhawks to make this movie because you can't just buy a Blackhawk and use it uh, to film for film for a movie. The DOD has a monopoly on those things. Yeah. So they literally will make it so like your your movie called Blackhawk Down, you're going to need us, or it's, you know, and we're going to have to get full buy-in on the script. Every every aspect of this movie was vetted by the Department of Defense. Nothing, yep. they didn't have any problem with anything that came out in this movie, which should be a big, huge turnoff to anyone who wants to watch it. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like, look, they, they pushed the guy who wrote the book out as the screenwriter because- How did that happen? I didn't know about that. Yeah, that um, he, essentially he, he drew up the first, uh, uh, the first, I, I guess, production of the screenplay. Uh-huh. Um, and Ridley Scott was like, well, there's some things I like, some things I don't like. And Bowden stayed around uh, as long as he could. He refused, like he did not want to change Steven's name. Uh, like you said, the DOD, you have to get 100% buy-in from then. So he did. And at that point, he kind of excused himself. And the person who got screenplay credit for it in the credits is like he, w- he did some touch-ups and other things and like added some dialogue. Uh, but he's the officially credited screenplay writer for the film. Um, but yeah, yeah, everybody, that's Black Hawk Down. Um, can I ask before we wrap up, Matt, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. So, I, I've thought about this a lot and I don't know I, what my answer is, but if I'd ask you, given this is like a movie that we both find like unfortunately effective in its aim, yeah. Um, but it being like that being a net, uh, definitely a bad thing, um. Is it possible to make an anti-war movie? Because even the anti-war movies, like the famous examples of it, up up to recruiting, like, uh, you know, fucking literally Full Metal Jacket, it, it, more people join the Marine Corps. Because- yeah, I, I mean, honestly, short of another movie like Johnny, Get Your Gun, I don't think you can make an anti-war movie. Mm. Um, like Johnny, Johnny, Get Your Gun is a man who's had his face blown off and has lost all his limbs and he's trapped. Uh, in his body that will not die Um, and it's him just dealing with the trauma of his injuries it's him dealing with the trauma of war Uh, you know 
I, I just don't think you can make an anti-war uh, film. Um, like I read Generation Kill on my last deployment. And if there is a anti-war book for the GWAT, that's it, right? I watched the series when I was deployed. To yeah, and I thought the series did a great job of encapsulating the book. But would you put something like that on television or on the big screen? It's going to reach a certain portion of the population in a way that, um, you know, is going to maybe have the opposite effect. Like you said, this movie is a recruitment tool. Generation Kill ended up being a recruitment tool. Even when you saw how poorly managed everything was from, from First Marine Recon, right? They did not have a net positive experience. And they showed how hard it was to deal with war in that, in that miniseries, right? And it made some of these guys household names. Like Rudy is a military film advisor now and like a, a, a fitness influencer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he played himself in the miniseries. Mm-hmm. But then you have a guy like Iceman, right? Who is fucking famous. And I believe he just recently retired after 20 years of service, right? But he's a legend and like, not even just like the special operations community, which, you know, Marine Recon became a part of, but just in the airborne community. Like he went Mm -hmm. to jump master school at Fort Bragg. You know, I I got Mm -hmm. to work with him on a few jumps before he went to Europe. Uh, And like, I think he spent his last few years like liaising over there with like uh, NATO and, and, you know, partner forces and, you know, shit like that. Um, But when you have that, and, and trust me, Iceman is the idealized version of the United States Marine. Yeah. Right? When, when you put that on screen, it's going to reach people in a different way than what the writer might have intended. Especially when you put it in contrast to poor leadership. So basically, what, the, what that always sell, smacks up to me is like, oh, we're showing you the, uh, the human element. It's a very, it's a very, uh, it's a very lib mentality because yep. basically what it says is you can manage your way into having good militaries and good conflicts because of that, because you just had the right leaders who were trained properly, managed properly, then we, the wars would be good. It's yep. nothing about, it's never that the war itself, it's not, not that the institution is bad or that the systemic issues that lead to the conflicts are bad. It's those are inevitable and how do we manage it properly? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, you know, we, we're, we're living in a time now uh, where we have a ton of veterans who maybe unlike past conflicts that are interested in telling the story properly, right? We still get books like, you know, Lone Survivor and, and American Sniper. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm uh, Joe, you know, Joe Kasabian's book, uh, I think is, would be great uh, turned into, you know, a movie because so much of that book dealt with the after effects of combat, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it showed how, you know, we had trouble sleeping. How do we wrap our head around what we did? How do we readjust when we come home? And not that weird fucking uh, whatever that EOD movie was with Jeremy Renner in it. You know, not, not where he's just standing in a grocery store aisle looking at boxes of cereal, right? Like, I'm not Hurt saying, Locker. yeah, Hurt Locker. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but, you know, we force ourselves to function because that's what's expected of us. Well, how, how do we force ourselves to function and still deal with one, uh, you know, our personal trauma, you know, the moral injury involved, and then two, you know, how do we, how do we square ourselves with the trauma that we inflicted in the countries we were deployed in? Yes. Right. 
Um, and Which I think no one wants to face. No one wants to face that. And that is every chud veteran who thinks that it was good and right what they did. It's because one of the reasons is because they refused to face that. If yeah. they faced that, they wouldn't feel that way. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Like I, we're, we're seeing more conscientious vets now and, and I've lucked out and, you know, you and Marcus and Erica and Lorax and just some other people I've come into contact with, you know, through uh, uh, getting to know you guys. Like I, I see more of them. And on top of that, they are more interested in writing now, right? Like this, it's not just something they want to bottle up. They want to share it with people so that they know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a net positive. But like getting back to your question, I don't really think you can make an anti-war movie unless you literally have somebody who is so devastatingly injured mm-hmm. um, and you can show that this is what war is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think you can make an, like an anti-war movie, you know? Even, I was thinking, even who gets a Kandahar, like the Joe could write, direct and star in that movie and it still would be appealing for some of the camaraderie aspects, like oh, we're yeah. a bunch of hooligans together. Like, and it would be of no fault of his own, you know. Yeah, it would just be like, hey, I would like. That's re- he's depicting what actually happened. He did have friends, people he was so close with, he consider family, who went through these incredibly horrific things together, and it was all bad, a net bad, like for everyone involved and the people that we inflicted our violence upon but that doesn't matter because people at the end of the day are looking for human connections and excitement adventure and they that military will sell you those things you have a purpose you will get to go do adventure you get to have a community and you you can't tell someone that that's you i always say like it's very difficult to like impart wisdom you can share knowledge but you almost it's almost impossible to impart wisdom on people because wisdom is knowledge plus experience yeah. And if you don't have the experience, you're not going to know. Uh, people told me not to join the fucking military. My dad was, he'd get so mad at me. Be like, you fucking idiot. War is hell. You're going to get yourself killed. You're going to fuck, you think it's fucking appealing. Like those damn video games that you fucking play, you idiot. And it just made me want to do it more. Yeah. That's something to prove. Something to prove then. Yeah. I mean, I, my family, you know, Northeast Ohio, there were no jobs there. The military was a way for me to work. Um, why I stayed in as long as I did, well, I, I bought into the trope for a little bit that this is all I can do, mm-hmm. right? And then it became, this job sucks. I, I'm starting to see what we're doing. Um, and I have a, a responsibility to younger soldiers to teach them something that'll keep them alive, right? And then at the end, it just, I was dreading having to do five more years to retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was, I was so over it. Um, and then, you know, things happen and I, I didn't have to do 20. Um, you know, I, I, everybody, you know, everybody, I'm pretty open and honest and very public about my struggles and what happened when I separated from the military. Uh, but, you know, it, it was, it was good. I stepped away because it allowed me to get involved with like organizing and, and being a labor agitator, which is one of my favorite things to do, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and supporting, uh, you know, organizations that are trying to, to make a net good, you know, do, do a positive thing, uh, you know, and that's what I want to do with the rest of my life is something positive rather than, you know, it, maybe it's a, it's an atonement for spending 16 years of my life running around and shooting things and blowing shit up. 
yeah. and just tearing things down, at least I can maybe build something up that's good and positive and, and actually help someone. Um, yes, please, for the love of God, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about joining, this sounds, what we've talked about has sounded appealing to you in any way. Please, God, go create something. Do not join the military. And you, I would rather, like the military made me who I am today. I'm not like, I'm not uh, ashamed of who I am as a person. I am ashamed of what I did. Like being a part of, of the fucking extension of empire that I was for, for six plus years in the military. And I regret it. And if you are all, are all considering doing that yourself, you would, I promise you, there, the, the pain that the military can inflict on you is great. And even if you never go to war, yeah. even if they never say, ask Erica, Erica, er, er, one, one quarter of, of left flank vets. Um, it's, it's not for me to tell her story, but the, the military was incredibly traumatic to her. Yeah. And she never fired a shot in anger. But she feels moral injuries, guilt. People did horrible things to her while she was in. There is, there is no way for you to protect yourself from that institution once you embed yourself in it. It will turn you into, it will do things to you that will, that will change you and it will make you do things that you will live to regret. Don't talk to it. Yes. Don't create something. Yes. And if you are thinking about it, DM me on Twitter. Uh, we'll talk. Um, but yeah, Dick, we're going to wrap this one up. You got anything to plug, my friend? Oh, uh, you can catch Left Flank Vets on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Left Flank Vets. Um, we got a Patreon. You can find us on there. I got my own Twitch show that I do. I'm about to do an episode this afternoon. Like it's called You Don't Know Dick, um, which yeah. I just realized I stole from you the other day. <laughs> it's I a, had it's no okay. idea I did that. Sharing is caring, my friend. So. <laughs> I, I was looking at YDKH and I'm like, wait, that mine's, you don't know. Oh shit. I fucking, this is, you don't know history. I couldn't even, so yeah, uh, for, I'm giving credit right now where credit's due. Apparently I subconsciously stole Max, the name of this show. I apologize for that. But that's the name of my Twitch show. You don't know, Dick. Uh, I dive into a topic for several hours. I'm going to do like Israel-Palestine conflict this afternoon. Ooh. Um, and I've done Ooh. things like UBI, uh, what else have I done? Huey Long. Huey Long was, was my first one in honor of a member of our community who is a big fan of Huey Long. Um, yeah, we do, I do a bunch. So I do that every, every Monday afternoon, um, unless I gotta, I gotta reschedule. You can check me out there. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, that's at Left Link Vets as well for a bunch of shit posting if you wanna see us uh, talk massive amount of shits and shit and piss off literally everyone. Yes. Um, and still somehow how not get banned. Awesome. <laughs> Everybody go follow them. Uh, I, the, the four left flank vets are amazing. They've brought me into their community with a big hug uh, and I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at BeardedCynic473. Uh, you can also find the uh, podcast Twitter at YDK History Pod. Um, and I also stream on Twitch now. Yes, I'm that guy. Um, you can find me on twitch.tv backslash YDK history Mac, where every Tuesday and Friday, uh, I go hard in the paint over a specific topic of history. And this week we're covering the Spanish civil war. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like to come on down and learn some of that, 
like I said, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, and then Fridays at noon Eastern, uh, I stream. And occasionally I'll do one on Friday nights because I like hanging out and talking about history. But everybody, if you like what you're hearing, think about becoming a patron so you can get more of these great You Don't Know History at the Movies bonus episodes uh, at patreon.com backslash you don't know history. But thanks, for every thanks, everybody. I will get this up as soon as I can, and I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.